1: On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or
0: restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.
1: Anyways, this episode was largely inspired because we always heard the same type of thing over and over again when it came to intuitive eating and we have like kind of this like um accidental I I like I'm failing at intuitive eating because type of series on the podcast and this one really came from this whole idea of I can't because because we would keep hearing people say like I can't do intuitive eating because blah, 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 blah. blah. And it became this like whole theme that we kept hearing over and over again. And so we decided to bring it here because we figure if we're hearing about it so much in our client sessions and in conversation, then we think all of you guys probably
0: might feel the exact same way. So let's get into it. And you know what's really interesting is I hear this A lot, or I see this a lot in my uh, new client nutrition applications. So, like before I do a 15 minute free session with people, we call it a discovery session. And in one of the things that they write, a lot of people have said, I feel like I can't do intuitive eating because fill in the blank. Um, And basically, what they say is, I know you and Christina do something that's basically like intuitive eating adjacent, but because you also incorporate health-promoting conditions and you, or that was wrong, <laughs> health-promoting <laughs> behaviors and, and... chronic illness. And chronic illness, yeah. <laughs> oh, it is Monday morning. Um, we go so far beyond what intuitive eating is. And so just to be clear, we're not saying like, oh, we want everyone to do intuitive eating, right? We obviously want everyone to find what's going to work best for them. And we think for most people that... What we call the intuitive eating kind of adjacent, which is wholehearted eating, is much more effective for many people because it does bring in intentional eating. Um, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. So, how are we gonna structure this episode? By the way, <laughs> cheer- <laughs> ADHD brain. Uh, cheers to <laughs> 250 episodes. <laughs> bah, 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 bah. <laughs> Anyway,
1: that's <laughs> <laughs> you know amazing. As you're like ADHD brain and all I'm, all I'm picturing
0: is one of those pinball machines. And I'm like, <laughs> this is Dana's brain right now. Bing, 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 <laughs> I just have so many ideas, guys, like <laughs> all at the same time. Um, but no, so <laughs> the way that we wanted to structure this episode is we have a lot of different, um, objections basically of like I can't do intuitive eating because and there's these are all things that we've kind of crowdsourced from our clients and social media and all kinds of places that we've seen all these kinds of objections objections of like oh I can't do intuitive eating because of this and we wanted to address as many of them as we can on this episode and we've found that a lot of them a lot of them kind of fall into like four different categories um and so we're going to Go into all of them and talk about, well, if you can't do this, you know, why do we feel like we can't do that and what can we do instead?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of times one of the first areas that we keep hearing about a lot, and I see it a lot with my eating disorder clients, is that they'll say the idea of intuitive eating to them feels like, we'll just listen to your body. Um, and that is very confusing for people who have really turned off their their hunger cues from dieting for for so long, or who have binge eating disorder, or who have like various types of eating disorders, if they have um, ARFRID too, like another one as well, if you're a very like, there's a lot going on, like, well, if I'm just listening to my body, this is what my body wants me to do, or I don't hear it. So it feels very inaccessible to them. Um, And so that can be really scary and difficult for them to kind of then implement the idea around intuitive eating because it feels like the main starting off point and principle around intuitive eating to them is, okay, well, now I'm supposed to listen to my hunger and fullness cues and I don't know what those sound like, feel like, or I haven't ever felt that way before. I don't know what it feels like to feel satisfied. I don't know what it feels like to feel hunger. I don't know what that feels like. Or I really like the feeling of hunger. Like that makes me feel good. So listening, like going against that and feeling satisfied and full feels really scary to me. So I don't really want to do that. So they're very much attached to that as well. And there are people out there who also feel like, well, if I ate every time I was hungry, I would always be eating. And I have clients who definitely feel that way and can identify with that. And I think sometimes the way that the hunger and fullness scale is sometimes what well, we talked about this in another episode, which we can link to in the show notes, but like the way that it's presented to people is it feels kind of like this, okay, you're either here or you're there and you're supposed to intuitively and naturally feel this way. You do in children, children <laughs> naturally feel all this but it gets really mucked up over the years from dieting and so and from restrictive tendencies, binge eating, all the different things. And so when you're going through this stage of like, okay, fuck it. I'm not going to diet anymore. I don't like the way that this is this approach is going and I want a healthier and better relationship with food in my body, the first thing you Google and you find out about is intuitive eating. And then when you read about, oh, we'll just listen to your body. Um <laughs> oh, ah, red flag. <laughs> it's like, it feels like scary AF, you know, like what? No, I can't listen to my body. My body's been lying to me for years and I have no idea what's going on. So how do I then distinguish between what my body is telling me and what my disordered eating patterns are telling me? So it can feel really difficult to manage.
0: And a big part of this as well is that we have been actively taught that we shouldn't be trusting our bodies because they'll be leading us astray in hunger cues and other things like that. And really it all goes back to weight, right? A lot of the time, most of the time, it goes back to weight. It's like, oh, if you listen to your body, then you're just going to eat all the things and you're going to gain weight and nobody's going to love you and, you know, all like all of the horrible things that are intrusive thoughts, overanalyzing, overthinking, that everything goes to. And when you've been taught by the diet culture industry, the fitness culture industry, you know, like all this other stuff that you shouldn't be listening to your body and that your body is telling you the wrong things and everything like that. Of course, you're going to have an issue with something like just listen to your body because it almost feels like Whiplash, a trauma response. Like, well, hold on, hold on. I've been taught this one way my whole life, and now all of a sudden, you random new thing to me, or these random, you know, people on Instagram or TikTok or whatever are like, no, just listen to your body, it'll all be fine. You're like, <laughs> that's funny. Like, what do you mean? How am yeah. I supposed to do that? And I think a big, uh, kind of gap in the education is, okay, well. How not only how do you listen to your body, but Christina says this all the time of like learning to speak the language that your body is speaking to you. So sorry if you were just about to say that because I took it from you (laughs) and I put your words in my mouth. Um but I think it's also, you know, it's not just learning how to listen to your body, it's learning to reestablish that trust with your body. Um and we've had Many guests on that talk about this as well and have like a lot of tangible tools in addition to, you know, everything that we talk about on the podcast. So we will definitely make sure to link those resources in the show notes too.
1: Yeah. And I think part of it too, it is about learning the language of your body and learning how to interpret it. And when you've had years and years of basically cultural learnings, familiar learnings, like um, influencer learnings, whatever it is teaching you that the last thing you should ever be doing is listening to your body and then we have some new wave coming through it's like a psych all you have to do is listen to your body and everything's going to be fine that can be interpreted and a lot of my clients feel this way is that intuitive eating is then portion control that's what it then gets like kind of internalized as it's like okay cool so listen my body is now portioning out my food and listening to portion control and that's what that's really all about so they're like okay so then if I'm going to have a bowl of cereal then I need to portion out or ration how much that looks like for that to be intuitive and for me to do this because in a lot of ways naturally we haven't let go of the outcome which we're gonna get into in a minute but I think it's really important for people if you're hearing and thinking like just listen to your body and your your initial thought is like screw you like we get you like yeah. I get you. I see you. I feel you and, and logical reaction. <clears throat> incredibly logical reaction. Incredibly like um, understanding very like also like just I don't know. It just feels so difficult and it makes sense that it would feel so inaccessible to you. If I heard someone say well just listen to your body. Um if you have a little bit of a rage response with it or an arms up in the air kind of response to it and thinking, well, great, now what do I do? I know too much about dieting. I know that this is a, I have a relationship with food and my body that I want to change. And they're telling me that this is the, the evidence-based backed way to do it. And this is how I need to do it. And their first response is listen to your body. It's okay to feel completely lost.
0: And angry as well because there is, especially with um, the majority of the people who are promoting intuitive eating, who you may identify as kind of like the face of intuitive eating. It's like skinny little white girls, right? And you're <laughs> like, oh well, that that works great for you, but with like all of the discrimination that I, you know, I being the listeners, not me. I am one of those skinny little by most people's standards right so I'm not being like just eat like me and then everything will be fine because that is a lot of the dialogue that's out there and it's like well clearly that works for you maybe if I looked like you and I had the genetics that you do that would be fine for me but I have all of these different you know it can be layers and layers of marginalized identities that make you feel like there's, there's no, there's absolutely no way that I could do that because that just wouldn't work for me. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of those things are completely out of our control in terms of the identities that you are born with and the way that our culture and cultures around the world interact with those identities and when you're trying to work your way through that and all this diet culture BS it's like (laughs) well I'm just trying to fit in in this society so that I don't get discriminated against in my everyday life and you're just telling me that I should let go of the one tool that I've given my entire life that has basically promised to help me fit in a little bit and assimilate a little bit better Mm, I don't think that one's gonna work for me
1: Yeah. I don't want to let go of the fantasy of it all, you know? And I think this leads really well into one of the second, the second category that we kind of defined as health conditions. And I think this is a a major one for a lot of people where they feel like intuitive eating doesn't really feel accessible or valid or like a real option for them. I think too, if you have, let's say you have if you're pre diabetic, if you have a family history of certain types of health conditions, if you have a current health, chronic health condition or an autoimmune disease, if you have GI symptoms and IBS and all of the things, it can feel like this is not something that I can do because <clears throat> I have to do what I need to do in order to manage these symptoms that I'm experiencing, or I have a really strong desire to put off the development of certain types of chronic health conditions that I see in my family history and whatnot. And I think one of the things that can be the most challenging around this is that we have this idea that if it happens, right? Like if we are pre-diabetic and so we feel like we need to manage it and so intuitive eating isn't something that's a tool that we can use in our toolbox, right? Because we need to be monitoring our food and doing all these different things. We, again, kind of going back to this concept of we're attached to the outcome, is we feel that if we then become diabetic, it's our own fault. Uh, It prevents you from being able to really allow all foods to fit and also to feel like and I also think that phrase can sometimes be challenging too because sometimes not all foods fit you know I can't have gluten right there are certain people who can't have certain things because of the way that it feels so I want to change it from not all foods fit but all foods lack morality You know, I think that's the larger piece of it is that I'm not gonna demonize certain types of food. I don't think that there's anything wrong with glutinous bread. I just can't have it. It's not acceptable, like accessible to me. It's not something that I can have. And I think there's a huge, like, that's a huge distinction that I think is difficult to then internalize because we think because it's not okay for my body that means that it's bad and when we say it's bad we're moralizing it in a way and the more that we do that the more we feel like other things are not accessible and we can have a intuitive quote-unquote approach to eating that removes the morality around certain things and also Think about our family history, the things that are presenting in our lab work, uh, our chronic health conditions and stuff like that, and support that at the same time. But when you first hear about intuitive eating, the first thought that you have is, yeah, no, (laughs) not for me. Like, I can't do that because of X, Y, and Z.
0: And I think a big, one of the big reasons for that is not only, you know, when we look at Uh, health conditions that are commonly talked about in relation to nutrition it's going to be things like diabetes and heart disease and other stuff like that but all of a sudden every single health condition has a list of foods that you should and shouldn't eat and this is more from the functional medicine community and uh, we have a rant that we're planning to do a patreon bonus episode about this for about how like a lot of functional medicine practitioners do not receive a lot of nutrition education information specifically about like biochemical pathways and the way that nutrients are actually utilized in the body as opposed to just attending a conference or some kind of training and them being like oh you have Hashimoto's hypothyroidism here are the foods that you shouldn't eat without really going into okay well Why is this necessary? You know, all of the other stuff. So it makes sense why when people have either a family history of chronic health conditions, you have something like prediabetes, IBD, Crohn's, colitis, celiac, all of this stuff. When as soon as you Google foods for fill in the blank health condition, Google will just be like, oh yeah, don't eat these 10 foods, eat these 10 foods. And it makes you feel like, well, if I just do this right, then either I won't experience that health condition, like it won't manifest in me, or I'll be able to completely manage it. And a lot of the time, and this is the scary thing, is like your health is largely out of your Mm -hmm. control, which is a scary thing. And so we do want to acknowledge that we understand why these types of food lists and protocols and things exist. Because when you're grappling with something like a, life-altering health condition most people want to do the research and do as many things as possible to manage that as best they can right so we don't as practitioners and this is why christina and i kind of have a unique angle on this because we are two people who have a chronic health condition that we can still manage without having absolutes of food rules and morality and everything like that while also acknowledging that like yeah, if we eat gluten, it's going to be bad. We're going to go to the hospital, right? But at the same time, there's no, you know, moral hierarchy of, oh, we're better than other people because we don't eat gluten. That is such BS. Like, that is not, you know, and Christina can go on her own rant probably on another bonus episode about how people will read one book or watch one YouTube video <laughs> and then think about how, you know, oh, no, well, no one should be eating this from someone who has no nutrition background whatsoever. But so- we want to say that we understand why you would be drawn to these food lists. If you do have any kind of predisposition to a health condition or if you have chronic symptoms or a chronic health condition or like any GI stuff, of course the first thing that you, not necessarily your practitioners, is going to go to is, okay, well, you know, if I'm having GI stuff, what are the inputs that I'm giving my body every day that is most likely contributing to these GI things? It makes a lot of sense why you would go that way. And so then we also understand why when presented with this oh just you know eat whatever you want and nutrition doesn't matter and blah 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 because unfortunately that is kind of the verbiage that's used by a lot of the um how do I want to say this (laughs) I was gonna say less educated intuitive eating community but that is I don't want to knock on like intuitive eating like coaches or anything like that because I don't actually think that they're the ones that are saying that stuff it's the people who have kind of just heard of intuitive eating they're like oh this is a cool niche I'm gonna go into this yeah intuitive eating just means eat whatever you want and it's like okay well you're kind of ruining it for the rest of people because that's really not what it is right but so it makes a lot of sense why you would feel that way and why you would feel like okay well if I have a chronic health condition and that's is the kind of learning that you know about what intuitive eating is of course you would feel like this could never be for me. Like I'm just I'm I'm left in no man's land by those people, so I need to find another alternative for me. And unfortunately, because of that, a lot of those people will just go back to functional medicine, dieting, very restrictive food lists and everything, which as we know, a lot of restriction can lead to a binge cycle as well, which can make your symptoms feel worse. And you know, it's it's interesting too because as you were kind of talking about
1: this, I was thinking about how you go back to your doctor and your doctor, if you're going to a standard medical practice, is just telling you to lose weight a lot of times for anyone and every condition possible. And that nutrition doesn't matter unless it's <clears throat> diabetes. <laughs> yeah. And that, and even then they're telling you just cut out carbs and do sugar replacement stuff. And they're not really providing you with the education Around what it means to m- manage blood sugar regulation in your body and what that looks like, and to like another part of it as well is that it then leaves you in this place of okay, well, what do I do now? There's no option for me available other than these tools, and I've been doing these weight loss type things for a long time, and yet here I am. So that can't possibly be the be it and end all answer for this, and so I understand why I also yeah I understand why hearing like a soundbite on TikTok or Instagram about intuitive eating from an intuitive eating coach or nutritionist or someone like me and Dana if you hear like a quick little soundbite of it could feel a little bit of like a F you (laughs) like feeling like that way and having that reaction because it's not possible to go into the nuances and the gray around all of this, all of that in a soundbite. And so when you hear that, and then you're kind of met between these two things, you might not even go down the road of learning more about intuitive eating because you hear this thing and you think, well, that's definitely not for me. I can't because of X, Y, and Z. Sounds great for everyone else in the world, but that's not something that I can do. I have to lose weight for my health. I have to manage this condition. My doctor's telling me that... These things are going to happen if I don't do something about it. And so then you do go down this road of going towards, like Dana mentioned, going towards functional medicine. You go go to Dr. Google, you find Dr. Google says, this is how you manage Hashimoto's. Okay, I'm going to remove all these foods and I'm going to do all these things. And then magically, I'm going to go into remission. And then when we don't, we think it's because we had Lucky Charms one afternoon. It's not the Lucky Charms fault. But yet we feel like it is because we've been told that if we don't eat a certain way and do it exactly as they tell you to, then your symptoms cannot possibly be managed and that it's then your fault for not having the willpower, the discipline, the focus, and the care about your personal health in order to do it. Talk about moralizing. I didn't know a bowl of Lucky Charms could have that much weight. But yet it does, right? And yet it does. And so I think that leads to then the pattern that Dana's talking about with leads you into this place of being stuck in a binge restrict cycle, going, starting over and over again with the new protocol, getting, trying to go like, okay, I'm in a, I'm in a flare right now, or I'm feeling really tired. My A1C numbers are kind of leaning up, or my blood sugar numbers are kind of in a spiral. Now I need to lock it in and I need to do all these things. Whereas, so it makes sense then that you would fall into that pattern and thinking that something in like intuitive eating Again, if we think of listening to our bodies as intuitive eating, and then our body is telling us a different story, or we don't know how to interpret and then respond to what our body's asking, there's no way. There's no way that this would ever feel like the right decision, (laughs) you know? And even though it could be an incredibly freeing decision for you, and also support your health long term as well but we don't get that message and that we'd have to then come up with that message on our own and that's most likely not going to happen and we haven't even touched on the body image part
0: right we're (laughs) about to go there but so another really interesting phenomenon that happens for people is basically like the higher the degree of resistance you have to something like this for whatever reason, the more your nervous system, your fight or flight response is going to be lit up with someone even suggesting that you do intuitive eating or try this or look up something about this, you know, because it really depends on the manner in which it is presented to you. You know, if someone's like, oh, well, none of this has been working, so you should do this. It's like, oh my God, you know, and immediately that your whole nervous system is like, whoa, whoa, alert, alert, like we're not doing this, which that kind of spiraling out of control can make your symptoms feel worse on their own without you actually making any changes to the food that you're eating, the way that you're moving, the way you're managing your condition, you know, everything like that. So this is just a whole different layer of wow this is this is really hard so if anything so far we hope that this episode is making you feel a little bit better and heard because we've been there before you know we've been in your shoes unfortunately we've all been here so you know (laughs) trying to find different ways out of it and really I think one of the most important and healing things is to find other people who have also been through a very similar set of circumstances to you, even if it's not the same health condition. Because talking about it and finding a community that can help you through this can also be a very key step of your healing journey as well.
1: I I also real quick want to just say, I feel like, if someone had told me before I got diagnosed with celiac disease to just listen to my body, I think I would probably yell back to them. That's what I'm trying to do. Like <laughs> like I'm trying to figure out what the hell is causing these symptoms and like why I'm having disaster pants all the time or why I feel like I have to rush to the bathroom after enjoying something and not having, you know, a, like there's like a history with food stuff, but not to this this extent, you know? And so then when you have that and someone if someone had said that to me at that time, I
0: think I probably
1: would have yelled, like, what do you think I'm trying to do?
0: Well, also think about if someone had said to you when you were recently diagnosed with celiac. You would yeah. like you're you're kidding, right? Like, do you even know anything about this autoimmune condition? My body will literally, quite literally attack itself. And I will end up in the hospital probably again. So it can feel almost like gaslighting, right? When people say something, oh, just, you know, listen to your body, even though obviously that's not their intent, right? But it of can yeah. really feel that way when you're like, you have no idea what I'm going through. And quite frankly, like saying just listen to your body is pretty freaking insulting. So, uh, Yeah,
1: it's like my body's in pain and I'm trying to find some way to feel better and you're telling me to listen to it. I can't hear what it's saying. I'm trying so hard to figure this out. Screw you. Yeah.
0: Or you're (laughs) trying to numb the feelings that your body is giving to you because they're so painful to hear, whether it's physically painful, emotionally, mentally painful, you know, anything like that. And leaning into the body signals, right? We also, we can't do this episode without talking about body image. Because this, when, when it really comes down to it, most people's number one is body image and weight. I can't do intuitive eating because I need to lose weight, whether it's for my health or because I don't like my body the way that it is. I need to lose weight in order to for me to be able to like my body or for my health to be better. And obviously we have like literally 50 episodes talking, rebuffing that. But there's also this like my body can't stay like this. And because there is so much discourse around, oh, well, when you start intuitive eating, you may gain weight because you are no longer heavily restricting, which is probably something that your body needed to grow out of, right? But because we have all of these cultural implications and then layers of, oh, losing weight is the worst thing that you could ever do in this society, all of the outcomes that we become so attached to are really scary. So the first thing that you may see is, well, I can't listen to my body. I can't do intuitive eating because I can't afford to gain any more weight. Or I've been told that gaining weight is going to make my health condition worse. Or I've been told that, or I know from personal experience that fill in the blank, right? So a lot of it comes back to body image to the extent where we literally made an entire course about this, right? There's no way we're going to be able to solve this issue in one podcast episode or 250 podcast episodes, to be honest, right? Because obviously this is all general information and should not be taken as medical (laughs) advice or diagnosis (laughs) or treatment. (laughs) But body image is a tough one. It's really tough and we're – here to give you a hug.
1: (laughs) I know. And you know, to be honest, it doesn't even go into those are like the The surface level, top of the iceberg reasons around body image and how much of it plays a role. There's also the childhood trauma that lives there. There's also the relationships. There's also intimacy. There's also dating in the world if you're in a certain body and like attractiveness and all of the different things that we've been told. and dating is hard
0: enough no matter what body size you're in, but it's even harder when you're in a marginalized body.
1: Yeah, 100%. And feeling like... You like not being able to get love and belonging and all these different things as a result of this because this is the way that we treat people, you know, and so in a lot of ways, the idea of letting go of weight loss feels incredibly unsafe and feels like something that we can't we can't do, you know. In some cases, with some some especially with a lot of my eating disorder clients, too, is like that was how they got love and appreciation in their family, right? Like sometimes things were withheld from them as a result. And if they were actively trying to lose weight, it and I think this is something that people see overall, it's more acceptable. Your body is more acceptable if you are actively trying to do something about it. And that in of itself can feel like, well, intuitive eating is not something I can do unless intuitive eating equals portion control. Mm-hmm. If intuitive eating equals portion control, in my mind, and I have to figure out how to portion it out, and then therefore intuitive eating will then lead to weight loss, and this is something that happens in eating disorder treatment, especially for shocker, only ma- mainly binge eating disorder clients and, and patients. It doesn't really happen with anorexics because, you know, you can only be anorexic if you're in a small, frail body. I'm using air quotes here, like that's not accurate. Um, <clears throat> but the by and large, a lot of the things that I've heard from clients of mine who went into treatment for binge eating disorder, it's intuitive eating is still packaged in a way, if you are in a larger body or in a marginalized size, that you, at the end of this is, if you figure out intuitive eating, Your body's set point will go down and you'll be in this nice place where you'll still lose a little bit of weight because you will no longer be binging and you won't be doing these things anymore. And so in a lot of ways, people then feel like if I don't have this outcome as a result of implementing intuitive eating, then not only have I not gotten intuitive eating quote unquote right, But I'm now not in recovery either. Like, it's my fault that my body hasn't gotten smaller as a result of getting my binge eating under control. And that in of itself makes intuitive eating incredibly difficult and incredibly inaccessible to a large amount of people because of the way that it's presented to them. And a lot of times the work that we have to do and that I do with my clients say, well, I'm not an intuitive eating coach. It's not what I do. I, quite frankly, if I'm being perfectly honest, haven't even dove into the book to that degree. Like, I don't, and it's not that I don't care about it. I don't not like it or anything like that. She just doesn't like reading for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't like reading. And, but I also think it's important too, to, to note as well that, again, A lot of the things that we hear about intuitive eating, and that's why I think it's important for people to know this, is that it is sound bites. It is not the full scope of working with a practitioner who specializes in intuitive eating, who fully knows the concepts here and helps you do the number one thing of breaking up with, rejecting the diet mentality, and all the different pieces and components that go into that. And for for that reason, I think it's really important to note that the body image piece and goes so heavily with the, I can't let go of this outcome because this outcome is something that I'm one heavily attached to, that it makes me feel safe. It makes me feel secure. It makes me feel lovable. It makes me feel more acceptable in society. So to tell somebody to let that go and just let their body do whatever it's going to do is kind of like a, oh, I can't trust you.
0: And, you know, bringing that back to, so one of one of the main themes that we're seeing here through all of these different categories, you know, the just, just listen to your body, the health conditions, the body image, it really all comes back to this aspect of trying to control the outcome by manipulating certain behaviors that we're engaging in. Really weight loss, right? And so A lot of the objections that we hear and many people experience, right? We have experienced all of these things ourselves as well, right? This isn't just like, oh, a lot of people talk about this, but we don't think it's true. No, we know it's true. Like we've seen this in all of our clients and some of them in ourselves as well. If some people's objections to this will say like, oh, well, you know, if I did intuitive eating, I would be just completely out of control. Like I can't control myself around food, which... The way in which intuitive eating is presented on social media by a lot of people, when the only frame of reference that you have is dieting and very restrictive food behaviors, and then that's all you see, to you, that looks like your type of eating out of control, right? Or like maybe in your experience, you felt completely out of control around food whenever you weren't micromanaging your food, counting your calories or macros, restricting food groups, anything like that, which we know to be a very natural overcompensation to restriction but what we're told is oh no either you're on a diet or you're out of control there's no in between and then there's either there micromanagement or no management at all right exactly um, because that's what we're taught is normal you know it's and it it's, these things like this are completely normalized in all c- our culture and we've talked about this you know about a month ago at this point on our episode when we when we set talked about Uh, What is normal versus what is optimal in a relationship with food? Being super, quote, clean with your food and then having a cheat weekend is so normal. And we're, you know, we're using air quotes here, especially like in the fitness community and with people that do, you know, all these kinds of like macro counting and everything. That's just restricting during the week and binging on the weekends, ultimately, you know, wrapped up in like a little nice bow of a package and stuff. And then we also have people that feel like and have been given the words of, well, if I, I can't do intuitive eating because I'm addicted to sugar, or if I don't micromanage my food, I'll blow up like a balloon, which is literally something that a client has said to Christina. I'm, sur- I'm sure a client has said that to me before. And then there are other people who are like, Well, I already be in jeet, so there's no way that I could do something like intuitive eating because it's only going to get worse. So it's a lot of these things really come down to this aspect of control of either I don't want to give up control, I'm afraid to give up control because I... Either think or you know from personal experience that all of these different negative outcomes that you associate with weight gain or body changes are going to happen if you do something like intuitive eating. Yeah. And it it's really difficult too because we kind I kind of mentioned it a few
1: minutes ago, but like the number one, like the first principle with intuitive eating is rejecting the dieting mentality. And so you kind of go through this place where you might start thinking to yourself, if you're going from micromanagement to wanting to do intuitive eating and you start learning more about dieting behaviors, maybe you've gone to a treatment program, maybe you're starting to identify with like, this is so messed up and so like, you know, I, I can't get on board with this. It's almost, I've said to clients of mine, you know too much now, right? You know too much, you can't go back, but how? How do I really, truly reject the diet mentality? Because yes, I don't want to diet. I don't like it. I don't think anything about this is cool. I know too much about it. I understand all the things that are really, royally messed up with it. F it. I don't want to do that anymore. But then there's that nagging voice inside of you that's saying, but how? How do I now eat? How do I now not become obsessed with an outcome? How do I let go or think about my body in a different way? How do I implement trusting my body when I've been told my entire life that that's the last thing you can possibly do is that your body is only going to try to lead you towards eating bowls and bowls of Lucky Charms and nothing else? Like That's what we've been told, right? And so the whole concept of having this relationship with certain types of foods that we've been told to remove for a long time or severely restrict and then say like, oh, wow, cool, they're all game now is no wonder people go through the all I'm eating is Lucky Charms. There's, I can't not do this. And then they get into the, oh my God, if I continue on this road, In this kind of screw it period of time, I'm going to gain weight, my health is going to decline, and intuitive eating isn't for me, and everything isn't available, and this is absolutely horrible, and everything they told me that would happen is true, and I need to go back. But yet we feel like we're going against something else if we try to go back. So then we think about intuitive eating a different way or we think about it from portion control and then we think, well, maybe I'll do something that's not overly diety, that doesn't tell, like quote unquote overly diety, that's not caloric restriction, that's just like, you know, thinking about health promoting type fives, like things such as Whole30, things like keto, but. Things like carnivore diet, all of these different things like Weight Watchers, things like all these different pieces, or even now, things like Ozempic. Cool. I'm going to take Ozempic, and I'm going to intuitively eat, and great, I can manage my body size and eat kind of intuitively and have all foods available, and that's cool because this other thing that I have a really difficult time letting go of the outcome can now be managed by something else. And I am not fighting fall with that. I understand completely the allure, the desire to have that managed because it makes the the noise inside around the control over the outcome and the obsession with the outcome simmer down. I get it. I totally get it. But the thing is, Dana and I here are pro nutrition. You can be pro-nutrition. You can bring intention into the way that you're eating. You can marry what does my body need from a nutrient nourishing level versus without demonizing and moralizing and internalizing thoughts around I'm bad or I'm doing something bad to myself if I eat Lucky Charms or I'm bad if I choose not to. You can do that. You can have that type of agency around food decisions. And yet it's not talked about enough.
0: No, because the loudest voices in the field are the staunchly anti-diet voices, which then, unfortunately, a lot of the time become like anti-nutrition science Voices, which is where a lot of people get the oh eat whatever you want it doesn't matter because all nutrition is the same which couldn't be farther from the truth Mm -hmm. and yet we don't it's hard for people who are coming from a very all or nothing mentality not to conflate that with morality around food 100% what, what we're saying is there can be an objective neutral nutritional difference between an orange and Lucky Charms. And it doesn't mean that you should be eating an orange and an orange is better and all of the things. It just means that they are two different foods with two different nutrient profiles. And when we say we're pro-nutrition, what we mean is we bring in intentional eating based on evidence-based protocols and nutrition science and clinical experience and anecdotal experience and personal experience and master's programs and training (laughs) and additional trainings that we do instead of just saying, oh, nutrition doesn't matter, which also is an extremely privileged thing to say. Like, we can't, we can't not say that. But if you're struggling with this, one way to kind of separate the okay but i learned about all this nutrition from dieting and you know all of this other stuff is diets and oh, we who knows how many times we said this but we say it again okay it's <laughs> diets and dieting and also all of those things that are like oh we're not a diet we're a lifestyle change like all of that <laughs> bullshit like whole30 and noom and weight watchers and all these things that are trying to rebrand themselves they don't own health promoting behaviors whole 30 doesn't own vegetables keto doesn't own butter and cheese and carnivore doesn't own meat and we when we say things like that it's like oh well duh you know of course they don't but tell me how many times you've had a thought of like whoa I can't eat that food because that's a Whole30 food and I'm not dieting anymore, right? Or this maybe like resistance or visceral reaction you may have to the cookbooks that you have on your shelf when you're like, oh crap, you know, like I really used to like that, that I was going to say episode, I really used to like that recipe. But if I eat it or if I make it, it makes me feel like I'm doing keto, Whole30, paleo, vegan, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. So that's a whole different layer of what Christina would call an advanced stage of recovery that you can get to eventually. I think the other thing that people get tripped up on is you don't have to do all of this at the same time. You can't do all of this at the same time. There's no way to untangle the years and layers of basically indoctrination that you've had. You can't do that in a podcast episode. You can't do it in a couple of days. You can't do it in, you know, so if you feel like you're in the middle of it, you're probably in the right place. All you got to do is just take one step forward.
1: (laughs) I think also too, one of the things that from a, when you go through eating disorder treatment as well is that sometimes people will come out of that And there's also this other highly critical voice. And I sometimes even refer to our recovery voice can start to become as critical as our eating disorder voice. And it's like almost like we have these two very critical people living in our minds saying one saying, why the hell are you eating Lucky Charms? Oreos are terrible. You shouldn't be doing this. There's something wrong with you. You need to be losing weight. And then there's the other side that's saying, if you don't eat the oreos that means you're not in recovery you should be challenging your challenge foods you have to be doing all these things and it's like at some point you just want to go ah like shut up (laughs) like everybody shut up and just let me choose what I want to eat and I think that's the beauty of intuitive eating to me intuitive eating ultimately is like this place where you can cut out that noise To make things like Dan and I are talking about, like neutral nutrition, intentional eating, feel accessible and feel like, wow, I can have agency around this. I don't have to listen to these hypercritical voices in my mind saying, just eat whatever I want versus, no, you have to micromanage everything. Like I can take out those noises and say, hey, cool, thanks guys for coming to the party. You've each served a purpose at various times. You're no longer invited to the party and I'm going to start to do what I need to do and I'm going to honor what my body needs and also not moralize every single thing that goes into my body. I'm not choosing, quote unquote, the right thing to eat. Just because today I'm choosing to have X, Y, and Z. I'm not choosing the bad thing to eat or anything like that because I've decided to have X, Y, and Z another time. I think ultimately for every single person, that's the goal, right? That's the goal of it all. And for someone to say I can't I can't have true agency over food because of all these different things, I feel like you've been lied to and that you haven't seen the full picture and what's truly available to you and that's what me and Dana are trying to do with wholehearted eating is trying to show you that we can neutralize all foods like Dana said like there're two different options and you can honor both of them and have both fit in your life pending chronic, you know, things and symptoms and allergies and all of the things that we believe in (laughs) that can be influencing these decisions. And then at the same time, also say like, hey, I can still serve Lucky Charms to my kid. I can still see Lucky Charms as a valuable option for breakfast. It doesn't have to be egg white omelets with oranges on the side. Like I can't, or it can be if you really enjoy that, and you're like, "Ooh, I love egg white omelets with oranges on the side, yummy!" Like maybe you're can't maybe relate, like, but sure. <laughs> but you know what I mean? People do, you know, whatever. I'm not gonna yuck anybody's yum. But, I was just gonna say that. That's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think that's one of the things that makes me really sad, quite frankly, is that people think that having true agency and being able to quiet those noises inside them and being able to listen to what they want and learning the language of their body. It is there. It takes a lot of work. It takes letting go in a lot of ways of an outcome that you think is supposed to happen in order to show that you're quote unquote healthy or what have you or anything that you're attached to with that outcome. It does take a lot of work around that. It takes digging into the roots of why that is so, why it's so deeply in you. But it's available. It's there. And it's an option. So you can. Even if it feels like you can't. This
0: episode has been a permission slip brought to you by Christina. (laughs) I can't not do it. (laughs) No, I love it. And I think, you know, this is at the one time or on the one side we hope like a big hug because everybody needs a hug. Um, And also a permission slip of like It doesn't have to be this way. We understand why this is so difficult, and there is a way to get out of it. We're not saying there's a super easy way to get out of it, unfortunately, because then, you know, everybody would have done this already, and we wouldn't have a podcast entirely talking about this, right? But so if you need help, if you have questions, please reach out. Our email is always open. Um, Like we mentioned, we're going to be doing even more bonus content about this on Patreon, so feel free to join us there. All the links will be in the show notes, all of the episodes that we mentioned in like the hunger fullness scale, and we also mentioned normalizing food versus an optimal optimal relationship with food, and all of the intuitive, help I'm failing at intuitive eating series will also be linked in the show notes. And let us know what questions you have, because we're happy to do follow-up episodes as well. Have a good day. (laughs) Bye. Peace. Hey friends, it's Dana, and thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast
1: today. Find us on social media at wholeheartedeatingpod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling.
0: If you love the show, we would love you forever if you'd share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show check out patreon.com slash wholehearted eating to help support the show and get access to ad free episodes bonus episodes with us and our guests episode discussions new resources we're creating for patreon and so much more if you have questions for us feedback on the show potential topics or guests you'd love to have on shoot us an email at hello at wholehearted eating.com and we'll see you next week okay i can start yeah i mean yeah yeah whatever No, you hang up. No, you hang up.
1: <laughs> no, I love you more.
0: Well, you are my work wife, so
1: it's so true. You're my work wife. Duh. Duh. Um, We've decided that maybe we should record our like first interaction when we find when we finally start meeting up on Monday mornings because it honestly. turns into a bit of a rage. Rage session.